Hello and welcome. I'm Eric. And I'm John. And this is the Wikipedia Chronicles. podcast where we start with a random article, explore it, then follow the links and see where it takes us. Today's starting topic is Sal Abruscato. John, why don't you start us off? Well, Sal Abruscato is a drummer uh, professionally. He was best known as a member of the gothic metal group Type O Negative. Hmm. He's now currently a frontman in his own band called A Pale Horse Named Death. Which performs primarily doom metal as a genre. So he's kind of a jack of all trades. He can get his way around the band. Yeah. Play yeah. anything. He is not really explicitly only a drummer, but mm. rather does various percussion, vocals, guitar, and bass guitar too. Multi talented guy. Mm hmm. Well, this pretty much leads us down a very musical path to begin with. Yeah, I would say so. Hmm. I already know a fair amount about typo negative, mm. but there is a fairly interesting story there if we feel like mm. going down that route. Well, although I've heard of typo negative, I don't know much about them. So, I mean, we can, can travel down that road. All right, let's give it a shot. So, typo negative is a gothic and doom metal band from Brooklyn, New York City. They were active from 1989 until 2010, and they became known as the Drab Four, colloquially, due to their lyrical emphasis on themes of romance, depression, and death. They Very lighthearted had, band, aren't they? Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they went uh, platinum with their releases Bloody Rock Kisses and October Rust. However, uh, they once uh, they eventually hung up their guitars and other instruments and retired once their frontman, Peter Steele, had been found dead. Mm. And the Peter, Peter Steele story here is pretty interesting. The... Uh, Frontman kind of had a drug problem. He mm -hmm. was a he's a really tall dude who kind of as soon as Typo Negative struck it big, uh, went off the deep end, got into a bunch of mm. drug problems. Eventually ended up in jail for it. And once he was out, he uh, reformed himself and really did uh, bring himself around symptomatically. Dealt mm. with his depression, dealt with his uh, abuse, substance abuse issues, uh, but then died from heart failure brought on by an aneurysm wow yeah it was kind of a rough lot i mean the guy cleaned up his act and what did his body say <laughs> probably shouldn't have cleaned up <laughs> no. so not not it wasn't great for peter Steele, but uh cool guy towards the end kind of a good role model for a lot of people because he was able to conquer a lot of his demons yeah and that's then, true uh so i feel like a lot of um 
metal bands, especially of the doom variety, mm-hmm. probably heavy into drugs. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's just sort of the mm. most stoner-ish uh, mm. sort of metal, outside of stoner metal, of course, that right. is also a <laughs> subgenre. But uh, as more metal-y metals are concerned, mm. doom metal is definitely the next one where you're kind of like, wow, this is just somebody... <laughs> Having a real bad trip right yeah. now. That's the kind of sound doom metal usually tends to create. <laughs> so Typo Negative had their own sort of culture. They had uh, a fake country that they created. Really? Yeah, the People's Republic of... Let me see what it is. I forget what it was, but they have... You see here on the picture that they have their own flag, oh, which is yeah. basically a black and green uh, flag that is representative of their pseudo-country, the People's Technocratic Republic of... I forget what it's called, hmm. but that is the preamble to its actual title. Oh, okay. It's funny, their logo looks a lot like the uh, Green Lantern. <laughs> like, look at that thing. That is very true. It does does look like the Green Lantern. All right, so where should we go from here? We have options for... We can go to the blood type, typo negative. <laughs> can learn more about the... Uh, Frontman Peter Steele, who died of an aneurysm, can go to any of the band's influences. Could go to Heartbreak. Heartbreak is an article? It is an article. <laughs> wow. Well, how, I mean, how? Like, it's not a song title. It's actually. No, that's, that's, a, that's the an article, article for Heartbreak. Yes, it is. Wow. All right. Well, <laughs> let's check that out. All right. <clears throat> they even have a nice little picture. Aw, sad. So it redirects us to Broken Heart. Um, it says common metaphor for, you know, after you break up with somebody, which, you know, Broken Heart. So it's not limited to romantic feelings, I see. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be associated with losing anybody. And that doesn't extend that relationships. I mean, that goes through things like death or mm-hmm. any number of uh human conditions of separation right basically yeah so it's basically just any kind of separation from a loved one not necessarily just breaking up with somebody right you can get a broken heart about over just about anything that's actually a broader definition than i was expecting to be perfectly honest with you Mm -hmm. but it does make sense interestingly there is a connection to how this is perceived how the concept of having a broken heart is perceived a 2011 study demonstrated that the same regions of the brain become active in response to painful memories as do become active during actual physical pain Mm. social rejection social loss uh these things are all part of the area of the brain that is triggered whenever you are feeling physical pain as well. They're all in the same area. Wow. So it's there is literal pain involved in heartbreak. Heartbreak does, does more than literally, or does more than metaphorically hurt. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I feel like a lot of times emotions lead to physical things happening to your body. Mm-hmm. And there is a fur- further uh, neurological process involved in the perception of heartache, uh, where the anterior cingulate cortex of the brain uh, overstimulates the vagus nerve, causing pain, nausea, and muscle tightness in mm. the chest. So there is not only a mental pain that is mm-hmm. caused by the same stimulation at the center in the brain, but also a literal pain right around the area of the heart in wow. the chest cavity. 
Man, who would have thought? I mean, the... Break your metaphorical heart and you hurt in your actual heart. Yes. I mean, and slowly that would probably break your heart altogether. Yeah. One would surmise. <laughs> so... Well, you know, that's probably actually why, um, you know, like if you hear about old couples mm-hmm. that when one of them dies, the other one, the other one is very soon after mm-hmm. dies of a broken heart. Um, you know, that is probably exactly what's happening. Yeah, exactly. Their physical manifestations of their broken heart is causing them to die, basically, just because yep. they're old enough that it actually can do that. Yeah, their heart doesn't have that much more it can take anyway, and mm-hmm. that's enough to push them over the edge. Yeah. Wow. So there's also a bunch of C also links down here at the mm. end of this article. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see things like anger, combat stress reaction, <laughs> depression, love sickness, or one that I'm kind of interested in solely because of the name, high wa itk. Yeah, that's a confusing one. I've never seen that combination of letters before. <laughs> yes, high wa itk, which is sort of spelled like tick, only with the first two letters switched. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm I'm ready to go there if you want to. Let's find out what Haiwa Itk is. It's a stub. <laughs> ah, we got a stub. How about it? Well, I mean, with something that you have never heard of before. <laughs> a lot of times, this is what happens. Mm-hmm. It's the risky run. Well, let's go ahead and kind of say what this is. Well, it seems like it's basically the term for broken heart that the Mojave American Indians have. Ah, so pretty much a rehash of the previous article, just now in a more culturally aware Mm -hmm. form. Okay, leads us to a lot of the same places. Although this does um, kind of specify that it's experienced by men, um, older men who are abandoned by their wives. Ah. So... It's a very specific phenomenon right. as far as heartbreak goes. Right. But yeah, the links, we, we got um, the Mojave, uh, we got oh, Love repeats. Sickness, mm-hmm. which apparently is a different article than Broken Heart. Hmm. Well, what do we want to do? Do we want to learn about the Mojaves or... Or we can go to anthropology or psychology. What? What? Down at, under references. Aha. Well, those are studies. They're going to be That's real true. broad. They are going to be real broad. Choices, choices. Well, I am kind of intrigued as to what love sickness is in difference to heart, broken heart. All right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, see what this is. It's part of a, this article is part of a series on love. <laughs> So I guess um, love sickness, whereas the broken heart is you have somebody and you've lost them, love sickness is you love somebody, they don't love you back. Yes. Seems like it's the rejection syndrome. Yes. Now there's a section here with the heading love as mental illness. Oh dear. Which uh, is interesting. coming down. We got some quotes here. Um, Sigmund Freud said, Isn't what we mean by falling in love a kind of sickness and craziness? An illusion? A blindness to what the loved person is really like? Says that even before that, in 360 BC, Plato once said, Love is a serious mental disease. And Socrates added that love is a madness. So, I mean, it sort of makes sense to me that this is no new phenomenon. Right. 
um, namely because of the various chemical reactions that are going on in the right. brain during <laughs> that sort of affair. Oh, interestingly, psychologists, on average, do not get many patients in that have love sickness <laughs> as a symptom or as a ailment. So what usually happens in those cases when they do show up Mm-hmm. is they are treated for other mental diseases because mm. usually love sickness is uh, something that may be attributed to them. However, it is mm. worth noting that love sickness having mental disease sort of uh, symptoms is often misdiagnosed. It's not mm. something that uh, you necessarily want to go see a doctor for then. <laughs> You may want to try your best to move on before consulting your medical professional because they may just say you have some sort of disorder or Mm. something else without you really being uh, any of those things. You may, in fact, just be intensely lovesick. (laughs) So you pretty much just need to get over it. Yeah, that's... (laughs) I mean, it's a a harsh reality, but... Yeah, I mean, it's not easy to hear, but it's... No, it's not easy for anybody, but at the same time, it's something that uh, you don't... I, personally, I wouldn't want to risk going to <laughs> a doctor and being, you know, labeled as uh, somebody who has this particular so, like ailment all my life when I don't. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like... Yeah, being misdiagnosed is a dangerous thing. Yeah, and it can lead to other uh, poor side effects. Mm-hmm. Though it is, uh, you know... Love sickness is also known to be sometimes deadly, depending on how uh, crazy the people get. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's preferential to preferential to being misdiagnosed. <laughs> Did you know that a symptom of love sickness is obsessive compulsive disorder? Uh, sounds about right. Really? That was one that actually snuck up on me. Like the other ones are mania, depression, tearfulness, <laughs> uh, insomnia, lack of concentration, lack of appetite. I'm glad that tearfulness isn't an article on Wikipedia. Yeah. Because it's very self-explanatory. Yeah, just crying. It's just people having tears. Come on, don't yeah, expound I mean, on that. Obsessive-compulsive disorder does kind of make sense because you're in this state of lovesickness and mm-hmm. you're just trying to forget about it. Right. So your brain kind of just forces you to get you know into all this busy work and that kind of thing so yeah it also says also says that hoarding uh as a result of obsessive compulsive Mm. disorder resulting from love sickness is something that a lot of people take up because they start to hang on to items that Mm. have a lot of uh, sentimental clout with them and i imagine they could also buy more things that remind them wow so we started this whole thing out on some Real uh, upbeat and cheerful, uh, <laughs> cheerful articles here. Let's go ahead and and bounce from from this. Yeah, let's see if we can find something a little better. We could go to not the... suicide. No, no, <laughs> that's worse. What we want to do is maybe go up to say, uh, love struck or mm. unrequited love. That might be a little happier. Let's go up the love ladder. Yeah, yeah. Let's climb the rungs. Well, we could go to Love Struck. 
Okay. Because that's at least not specifically rejected love. <laughs> and it's also allowing us to climb the ladder rather than somehow shooting straight <laughs> to the top where we have unrequited love. Yeah. Or would that be straight at the bottom? Unrequited would, is the one where you don't get it back, right? Yeah. Okay, so that never would be, mind. That would be bottom or sideways. Side, that would yeah. be a, a ladder sitting right beside us. So that's boring. Yeah. You're already on this ladder. This ladder's fine. I really don't know why that would be an article separate from love sickness then, but whatever. <clears throat> All right, so love struck, part of the series on love. Okay, so it says being love struck is having mental and physical symptoms associated with falling in love. So, I mean, I feel like that's a little bit redundant. Yeah. If you ask me. Love struck is to be struck by love. Cool. It, Good definition. <laughs> like, I, I feel like you could just say love struck. That's what it is. That's all there is. Because <laughs> I feel like falling in love is literally a synonym. Well, and there's not, I mean, spe like saying mental and physical symptoms associated. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's not really a good way to define it except sort of tautologically. But... Uh, oh, maybe, maybe to kind of, I don't know, expound upon what they're trying to get out here, maybe. Perhaps falling in love is falling in love, but love struck is kind of more of an immediate thing that happens uh, as it's opposed like a slap to slap in the face. Right. It's not like a like what, a drawn out thing right. that happens. Because if you look at the metaphor section, what you're saying makes a lot of sense because mm. we're talking about things like. Cupid's arrow here, mm. where we're literally having, you know, Cupid reaches back, grabs something out of his quiver, flings it at you, boom, done. Instant love. Right. So that's okay. kind of more what they're going with here. Yeah. And the this is hopeless, though. Look at this. We have the same <laughs> psychoanalytic <laughs> quote from Freud that we used in the last uh. article. Blah, blah, blah. Love is a madness. Blah, blah, blah. And then the symptoms are, guess what? Stress, lack of appetite, tearfulness, <laughs> uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, yet again. This isn't like unrequited love. This is just being love struck. I don't understand what all the stress is. I mean, I guess. I mean, I guess it's a little bit. You don't yeah, notice you know. it because you are in the state of <laughs> requited love. In unrequited That's love, true. you notice it in a different fashion. Where, I mean. But, but my point is. That love struck itself is not inherently unrequited. Right. Love struck could be, but isn't necessarily. Okay, so from here... Oh, oh, look at this. We can go to an article for Femme Fatale. Ooh, interesting. Well, I'm, I'm cool with going there if you are. Oh, am I? Here we go. <laughs> All right. All right, let's see. Hey, Femme Fatale is a stock character of a mysterious and seductive woman whose charms ensnare her lovers, often leading them into compromising, dangerous, and deadly situations. Hmm. Who would have guessed? Not me. <laughs> Except, you know, yeah, I would have. So, the phrase, of course, comes from the original French for fatal woman. Right. Uh, using sexual allure, she and trances her prey into various schemes by ways of lies or coercion sometimes instead of charm. 
and typically they can be villainous characters, but usually they are associated with moral ambiguity. Mm. Yes. Kind of a chaotic neutral sort of element. Mm-hmm. Definitely some saucy pictures in this article. Wow, are there? But that kind of makes sense. Right. Femme fatale uh, archetypes apparently have existed for thousands upon thousands of years. <laughs> so we naturally go back to the sort of more... Uh, we sort of go back to the time period where it was in vogue to make statues of women that were... Uh, Amplifying their more uh, <clears throat> fertile uh, traits, mm. and as such, right, it's pretty blatant. Uh, <laughs> but actually, yeah, that's mm-hmm. pretty much where you end up. Now it's saying here that um, the uh, in film, uh, film noir movies are very big into having femme fatale characters, which yeah, you know, obviously because. Film noir is all about that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Things like the uh, Maltese Falcon, mm-hmm. Double Indemnity. Very good movies. They all, they all have uh, very important femme fatale characters in mm-hmm. them, so we're not unfamiliar to those roles. The most award-winning and probably prevalent one right now, however, is Marianne Cotillard of France, mm-hmm. who has been a femme fatale spoilers in uh, <laughs> various movies of late, namely things like Midnight in Paris or The Dark Knight Rises. Mm. Notice two of these movies on her list are Christopher Nolan movies. Hmm. It's almost as though Christopher Nolan enjoys his femme fatale tropes. Almost. Hmm. So, sociologically, the concept of the femme fatale has kind of made a lot of people divided. It's uh, sometimes related to the concept of uh, fear of misogyny, and other times a fear of witchcraft. But yet again, it can be interpreted as men fearing feminism. Hmm. all, All of which makes sense. Yeah, I could see that. But then again, you could look at it that way, or you could just as easily, in a lot of cases, say that it's a very good example of female independence Mm. and a threat to traditional gender roles, because, Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, uh, personally, I think I kind of err on the side of the first point, because I sort of see the, it's only by way of conforming to the gender roles set forth that she's able to make, like, real headway in, um accomplishing whatever agenda she has Mm -hmm. in most instances. And that doesn't help to break or defy or change gender roles. It's really just kind of utilizing them as a bait and switch. Right. Which, without gender roles, as they currently are, you couldn't do. So it either reinforces (laughs) them or it does nothing. One one way or the other, in my opinion. Right. Yeah, I I can agree with that. Meanwhile, the Jungians people who follow the psychoanalytic studies of Carl Jung consider the femme fatale as an expression of the negative aspect of the anima, or how the woman appears to the man. Hmm. I've never heard that term, anima. That could be interesting. The Jungian stuff is pretty interesting. (laughs) 
I mean, it gets pretty crazy. It gets trippy. There was a lot of stuff that he did that uh, some friends of mine in college got really into hmm. that kind of messed with their minds a little <laughs> bit. So uh, he was he was a very revolutionary thinker for his time. Hmm. There's, there is also an article here called Girls with Guns, which oh, okay. is a strange <laughs> That's a very, article. Yeah. There's hmm. also uh, histrionic personality disorder. Which sounds like Histrionic. it might be an interrace- interesting uh, sort of thing to look into. Yeah, histrionic. Or bad girl movies. <laughs> There's an entire list of bad girl movies. There's actually quite a few good choices here, none of which seem terribly boring. Right. All of which seem like they could be rather rich hmm. and maybe a little risque for... <laughs> for us, but I mean, I'm willing to tackle them if you are, but we gotta choose one. Alright, well, how about we go with this histrionic personality disorder, because it seems a little safer Yeah. some of the other ones, like bad girl movies. <laughs> that could take a wrong turn. I'm not sure what this is. It is defined as a personality disorder. That is That is in the name. <laughs> yes. It's Well, it's, it's defined as less as two of the three words of its name. Okay, we're going to have to go a little bit deeper just to figure out what exactly <laughs> they're going on about here. All right. It's a pattern of excessive attention-seeking emotions. Oh, okay. So, uh, it usually begins in early adulthood, uh, and basically people use promiscuity to achieve uh, achieve social acceptance or achieve the perception thereof. Oh, okay. Basically, if you, if you have somebody who's very dramatic, very flirtatious. It's uh, usually a sort of incarnation of his- histrionic personality disorder, hmm. or HPD. It is at a prevalence of about 2 to 3% in the general populace, oh. and generally speaking, affects women four times as often as it affects men. Okay, so the name histrionic personality disorder stems from the word hysteria. Aha. Okay, so that makes a lot more sense. So their personality is entirely uh, in a state of chaos because it's subjugated to attempting to please everybody around them at Mm -hmm. all times. Well, that's about all that there is to it. Uh, There's a nice mnemonic down here. (laughs) The mnemonic is... The mnemonic to remember the various symptoms of this disorder is praise me <laughs> p for provocative behavior r for relationships are considered more intimate than they actually are a for attention seeking i for influenced easily s for speech style that wants to impress but lacks detail oh boy that just hit me <laughs> right in the feels e emotional liability and shallowness m makeup physical appearance is used mm. to draw attention off of oneself and E, exaggerated emotions, very theatrically put. Okay. So definitely see why this is femme fatale related. related yeah. Yep. So I would say, kind of re- revisiting the uh, sort of interpretations that femme fatales have sociologically, mm-hmm. that if a femme fatale were to go about their business by way of avoiding characteristics usually found within HPD, mm-hmm. that would defy gender roles, wouldn't it? True. They would overcome the sort of need to fulfill 
what people think of them first, mm-hmm. and then just kind of be badass, and from there, just proceed to fulfill whatever they need to get done. Yeah. That is defiance of gender roles. That would be... if, But the, again, across the board, mm-hmm. do you see that all the time? No. There are mm-hmm. quite a bit of femme fatales that do use... Exact the exact sort of histrionic personality disorder to right accomplish what they need to accomplish. Mm-hmm. I think it's also kind of maybe a little bit lazy storytelling. Oh yeah, that's bad writing. <laughs> You're not trying to make the character an actual person at that point. You're just yeah. saying, what would they do in this situation? If I were a woman <laughs> who was attractive, <laughs> which as a you know chubby white man I am not that. Uh, but, uh, you know, if I was, maybe, maybe this is a thing I would do, which is a far cry from, you know, any actual woman doing that sort of thing. Um, so I'm curious to see about what, how you actually would get diagnosed with this versus people just sort of being a little bit more mm. flamboyant than, uh, other people. I mean, diversity right, is the spice of life. You don't want to just lump every sort of very theatrical person into this Mm -hmm. sort of state do you yeah i mean this is a like an actual disorder like it's not just character traits or anything no no it's not your personality this This is is yeah it's like a a whole thing well let's see let's look at the diagnosis section then Hmm. basically a person's appearance behavior and history along with a psychological evaluation Hmm. are what are used to establish a actual diagnosis but some people are wrongly diagnosed that's probably because there's no test to confirm the (laughs) diagnosis it says right here they don't have any actual substantial test how do you have a disorder that you don't know how to identify because you've obviously identified (laughs) it already you've identified it enough times to get a disorder yeah so how do you not find it do you Mm. just kind of lose the prime example and thus think (laughs) well that person had these traits therefore going forward that's what we're going to base it off of (laughs) doesn't seem right yeah Uh, something something off well for all the people that can be wrongly diagnosed from a test that does not exist (laughs) there are several methods of treatment most of which Mm. involve psychotherapy some including cognitive therapy you can do interviews and self-report methods and in that way you are able to identify ongoing issues. Um, there's also functional analytic psychotherapy that is also an option. Yeah, I feel like with um, a disorder like this, uh, it would like the first step is obviously recognizing the problem. Right. Because if you don't know that the problem exists, then there's no way you can do anything about it. Right. So I feel like these treatment methods kind of make sense because you're forced to look at yourself, look at your actions and analyze them and try to correct them or exactly, but figure out how to change your patterns. At the same time, I kind of get off the boat here with the very psycho psychoanalytical approach. Mm. Uh, nothing against the school of psychology. I mean, I'm sure that there are people who need that kind of analysis to get through it. But at the same time, if somebody is going out of their way to try to uh, 
be very flamboyant in a way that is to attract attention and seek approval. Mm-hmm. Can't the people at some point just kind of pull them aside and say, hey, so you know how you're trying to seek attention all the time? That's really annoying. Cut <laughs> it out. Uh, that, I think, is a lot, a lot of times all, all the people need mm-hmm. is uh, a realization that their attempts to achieve uh, sort of an acceptance is what is, in fact, keeping mm-hmm. them from being accepted. That's the sort True. of... I mean, there's, there, sure, there's a degree at which this is probably going to need professional help, but at mm-hmm. the same time, isn't the contradiction that's inherent to being annoying in how much you are seeking <laughs> acceptance kind of, you know, once it's realized, mm-hmm. like you were saying, as, as long as it's realized, isn't that sort right. of the answer to the problem as well? Like, as soon as you yeah, do it, it's I, I sort guess. of, oh, connection made. Yeah, it just takes a reality check. Yep, that's all. Still, though, I suppose there are some people who couldn't convince themselves of that, and at that point you have a legitimate disorder because the mm. order, the disorder may not arise from, it may not be as easily treated as the contradiction, and at that juncture, yeah, you mm. probably would need professional help. You, you are no longer able to perceive the world as it is, so that's something you want to get looked at. Yeah, <laughs> I would think so. so. I feel like we're um, dipping down a little bit again. Man, we can't keep ourselves away from all these, like, sort of, man, these these dreadful, dreadful topics. And now we're stuck with a list of people who all have it. Now we can look at things like making a mountain out of a molehill. Salem witch trials. Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah, you know what? I'm not even going to think about it. Let's do that. Yeah? Yeah. All right. Yeah, because I actually, I mean, I've heard, obviously, of the Salem witch trials. But I don't really know a lot about the facts about it. Okay, well, let's go through the basics here. Uh, in total, the trials of these people in Salem, Massachusetts, uh, resulted in the executions of 20 people, most of them mm. women, not all of them. So okay. it wasn't just Salem witch trials. Mm-hmm. It was like Salem witch and wizard trials. Or Salem, like Hogwarts trials, something along those lines. Mm. Um, the preliminary hearings were conducted not just in Salem, but in various ones around Ma- Massachusetts Bay, uh, including Ipswich and Andover, in addition to Salem. So, 19 of them were hung, 8 were condemned, and one person who was convicted of being a witch was pressed to death. Hmm. That cannot be fun. So, we're on the up and up. We're doing our positive articles here. (laughs) Pressed to death, ladies and gentlemen. But I noticed in those things you listed, not one of them was burned at the stake. You know, that is one interesting sort of uh, misconception, it seems, has emerged. I mean, that's like the most popular image of the Salem witch trials is they would burn the witches. But no, they just hung them. Like they, you know, Yeah, it was just a standard execution. Yep. And I feel like the what actually happened was, I mean, obviously their accusations were outrageous and unfounded, but it doesn't seem like they went about executing them in any other way than if they were just a criminal. Exactly. So 
I don't understand where that came from. Maybe it was from the more uh, ancient tradition of burning, which is in Europe, hmm. where the church oversaw such things. Being burnt at the stake might have just been a little too archaic for the people who ended up settling in Massachusetts by around right. the time of the 1600s. Or maybe they just really wanted to, you know, use their firewood for something better, like staying warm <laughs> because they're in Massachusetts. It's cold up there, folks. Oh, wow. They, this was actually like, it wasn't just somebody would say, hey, you're a witch. And then they all like the mob comes and gets them. Right. It was more of like suing somebody. What? Because here it says that after somebody concluded that a loss, illness, or death had been caused by witchcraft, they file a complaint against the person they allege is a witch. So... And then it's basically like a trial, <laughs> like an actual legal like trial. an actual trial. And witchcraft was essentially the accusation that you were murdering people by way of implementing uh, viruses on them, illnesses, mm -hmm. ailments. It wasn't... Like it was, they were literally accusing you of murder by way of supernatural means, which right. today wouldn't be which we could use witchcraft by that definition <laughs> in a court today. Like if somebody introduced, yeah. you know, a virus to somebody that ended up killing them deliberately, mm -hmm. witchcraft, boom, done, hang them, easy. But <laughs> I, I didn't think that that was a legitimate definition for witchcraft. So surprising. Well, but it, it makes it sound a lot less crazy. Yeah, I will say that much. <laughs> yeah, definitely seems to have gotten blown way out of proportion, even though it was still clearly not right. But here it says that some were given reprieves because they were pregnant. Hmm. So at least they had some kind of mercy on people. It seems like there was order in the court after <laughs> all. I mean, we have this perception that is... It looks like deliberately created that this was a really bad episode of mass hysteria, but mm. ultimately it seems as though the lasting effects of the trials have been much more influential than the trials themselves were at the time. They weren't right. really that far removed. They were just trying to figure out, um, they were just trying to blame acts of God on people and witchcraft was the only vessel that they right. had to be able to do that. Looking at some of the specifics here, you sort of see why people would think that it wasn't, like, a sickness. A lot of the illnesses that people mm -hmm. ended up dying from are not, like, common colds. One person had epileptic fits. Mm. Other girls claimed that they were suffering from being pinched and pricked with pins, which physicians of the time could find no physical evidence of. And to me, it sounds like this was just sort of the way the people in the area culturally explained things that were of a more neurological disorder right. nature that they yeah, weren't familiar it, it with. It was it was just new illnesses that they couldn't explain. Or at least weren't familiar with themselves. So, so they were just like, well, there has to be an explanation. Maybe it's witches. I mean, it seems like that was kind of a weird jump for them to make. Mm -hmm. However, I guess it was based upon rumors, mostly. I mm -hmm. mean... Sure, it had a sort of root in the uh, churches from which the uh, New England settlers would have come. However, it primarily seems as though witchcraft was mostly spread as a rumor. Mm. So, one 
funny thing is that while the entire Massachusetts Bay Area was rather plagued by rumors of witchcraft, there was a washerwoman by the name of Goody Glover who was sort of a witch in the sort of colloquial sense. Her husband referred to her as a witch, as mm. in she's a mean old witch. <laughs> and she was. And as soon as she was mean to a couple of kids who happened to all be from the same family, four of whom inherited genes that made them epileptic, <laughs> poor old Goody Glover oh. became known as an actual witch for having cursed them with such a disease. Wow. Now, that's that just doesn't seem right, but I mean it was already the thing is is that the rumors were already circulating well before the events of the Salem Witch Trials began right. to take place. And so as soon as they did take place, everybody was able to just latch on and ride that horse until it was <laughs> dead. Oh no, this is too good. Witch cake. <laughs> Witch cake. At some point in February of sixteen ninety two a neighbor of the Reverend Paris Mary Sibley instructed John Indian, one of the minister's slaves, to make a witch cake using traditional English white magic to discover the identity of the witch who was afflicting the girls. The cake, mm -hmm. made from rye meal and... Well, wait, what? That can't be... No! The cake was made from rye meal and urine from the afflicted girls. Mm. And it was fed to a dog? <laughs> oh my god. Oh man. According to English folk understanding of how witches accomplished affliction, when the dog ate the cake, the witch herself would be hurt because invisible particles she had sent to afflict the girls remained in the girl's urine. And her cries of pain when the dog ate the cake would identify her as the witch. So, <laughs> that's a little ridiculous. Yeah. Holy moly. Now, it's interesting that they are apparently okay with white magic. Yeah, yeah, white magic's fine. Have a couple of girls piss in a bowl full of, <laughs> full of flour, and that's all right, but... Because, yeah, it says here that over time, the idea of white magic transformed into dark magic and became associated with demons and evil spirits. So... They used I guess, what eventually became darkest magic <laughs> to <laughs> figure out witches. So you yeah. had somebody there who was like a witch practitioner who they employed <laughs> to find other witches. Mm -hmm. That's something straight out of like Joss Whedon folklore. <laughs> That's crazy. Oh, wow. The evidence list here is really fascinating. The most famous one apparently is the uh, touch test. So, beyond that stupid cake thing, <laughs> they also had a touch test where if the accused witch touched the victim while the victim was having a fit and the fit stopped, that meant the accused was the person who had afflicted the victim. <laughs> Which is absolutely insane. Like, <laughs> who's to say when the fit's going to stop if you're talking about epileptic seizures? Stop. Yeah. Stop any time. <laughs> Especially if you put your hand on somebody, somebody may react. They may, like, consciously snap out of something. Yeah. Aye. Mm. Well, they, I mean, they weren't very knowledgeable back then. No, they were not. But, man, I... It, reading articles like this kind of hurts me a little, just from how strange we thought things were. Like, there was mm. no, like, empirical method to this at all. We just decided that, eh, it's this way. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go with it. And, uh, I mean, 
I, I, it just baffles me that nobody would think <laughs> to dig a little bit deeper, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, find some more information. But, hey, you know, different time. Yeah. Not to mention, I think a lot of people were kind of hoping it was a thing. <laughs> like, think about if witches were real. Mm-hmm. Think about the uh, possibility to, like, be like, okay, well, we've caught you. You are a witch. You can do magic. Mm-hmm. You're going to grant us three wishes. <laughs> like, you're going to, like, heart- I mean, maybe there was some sort of undercurrent of hope that there may actually be magic left in the world, and that's sort of what kept this going, is mm-hmm. at the end of the day, they really wanted to sort of usurp a witch, learn magic from her. Also, you got to think, this was kind of like a golden ticket for people who wanted to get rid of somebody they didn't like. That's also true. Easy way to get out of say, hey, that person's a witch. And <laughs> it would be really easy to convince people that that was true. Yeah, just get them around a couple of epileptic kids and be like, all right, well, they're have, they, they still have epilepsy. You were in the same <laughs> room as them, but, you know... They're still having it, so, I mean, you're probably the witch. <laughs> yep. That's all there's to it. Wow. This is... It was just a really unfortunate series of events. Mm-hmm. I'm glad we looked into it, though. I mean, at least we've yeah. learned... What have we learned? <laughs> we learned that they didn't burn people. <laughs> we've learned they didn't burn people. We've learned that they make... They are no Nero, that's for sure. They are not Nero. Not burning people in oil is a good change of pace. <laughs> Well, from here we can go to numerous places. There are various historical figures that are Mm -hmm. important in the uh, earlier days of the United States. Yep, we could even go to something crazy like LSD. LSD? A link. Why is that in here? Hold on, let's figure out why LSD is here (laughs) first. That's what I'm really curious about. Well, apparently it says here. Uh, to cause the symptoms of those who claimed affliction mm-hmm. um, is a subject of interest because there have been several explanations, including psychological hysteria in response to Indian attacks, um, ergotism caused by eating rye bread infected by fungus, that is the natural substance from which LSD is derived. So we're not talking explicitly about uh, epileptic fits here. We're talking about environmental factors that right. gave off similar symptoms. Mm-hmm. Aha! That's interesting. Yep, yeah. So there are definitely a variety of actual legitimate medical and natural causes to these things that they have discovered since. All right, well... Let's bounce on over to LSD. All right. <laughs> okay. LSD. Lysergic acid dithal- dithalamide. Dithalamide. Known as LSD, colloquially as acid. Hmm. Which is funny because it seems as though almost m- everything is an acid of some sort. <laughs> uh, That's true. Morphine. But it's a psychedelic drug known well for mm-hmm. its psychological effects. Closed and open eye visuals result from taking LSD, and it also alters your sense of time and, in some instances, gives forth spiritual experiences. <laughs> Relatively recently created, LSD was first synthesized in 1938, mm-hmm. and sure enough, from the grain fungus that typically grows on rye. There you go. Just like we saw at the Salem Witch Trial as a potential for the symptoms that the afflicted people were displaying. Mm-hmm. And there's the, um, the CIA, obviously, 
began testing with it in the 50s. They gave it to their employees and what? personnel and doctors, a- agents, huh? prostitutes, what are you? mentally ill patients, no, and members of the general public. Why? To study what it did. <laughs> Which seems like a great way to go about that, don't you think? Just give it to everybody, see what happens. I mean, that is the stupidest thing. <laughs> Why... How did, why did you need to have it go through everybody? That, I don't know. I mean, couldn't you tell that it made people really, like, <laughs> crazy trippy with just, like, you know, a handful of you? Yeah, you'd think so. Or maybe it was more something that was more like, hey, dude, check out what this does. Oh, okay, <laughs> cool. And then they kind of, you know, they just wanted to pass word along that, like, oh, hmm. yeah, this stuff's super neat. Look at all, like, the things you can <laughs> see. You can see the music. Well, did you ever see the movie um, The Men Who Stare at Goats? I did see that. Shiny Eyes Technique. Yeah. (laughs) That movie is about, well, not about entirely, but partially touches upon this. The subject of the LSD studies. Mm -hmm. I do remember that now that you mention it. I just uh, had blanked on it for a minute. Though I didn't know if that was part of the true story part of that movie or the Mm. sort of, you know, exaggerated part. Though, allegedly that entire movie is, you know, on book. (laughs) It's an actual thing that we really did. I mean, and come to think of it, seeing that that is a true story sort of makes the whole CIA LSD thing make sense. We were studying psychological powers (laughs) in the desert somewhere by having a bunch of army guys stare at goats. (laughs) That's... I mean, they're we willing were... to try anything to just get a leg up. I mean, it doesn't give you much courage that America had uh, a good footing until very, very, very recently, though, <laughs> because that was what the 1950s, and mm-hmm. between the Salem witch trials in the 1690s and the 1950s or 60s, of we had progressed. LSD trials. Yeah, we had progressed from having. People eat urine cakes in order to determine where witches were, mm. and then people stare at goats to, with LSD in their system in order to figure out whether or not they had psychological powers, <laughs> or they had the ability to be kinetic, form kinesis in any sort of fashion. Like we really didn't, we really didn't progress as smoothly or as uh, well as I think we have all come to <laughs> accept. Well, it looks like um, author Aldous. Huxley was an advocate of using LSD. Oh, well, there's some good there's some good cultural use it went to. <laughs> it was finally made illegal in the United States in 1968. Oh, it was that I mean, for the CIA using it on the populace as recently as they did, I would have thought it would have been legal far longer than that. Hmm. That's impressive that it stayed out on the market for that long. Yeah. Oh, the last FDA-approved study of LSD in patients ended in 1980. Wow. So that's very <laughs> recent. Okay. So somehow they still thought it was a good idea in 1980. Well, maybe there's a good reason why they thought it was a good idea. Albert Hoffman, the guy who was the person who originally synthesized LSD by itself back in 1938, mm. he was still alive until 2008. Oh. He lived to be 102 years old. <laughs> and the guy knew how to make LSD, mind you. Wow. And LSD is, again, 
synthesized from a fungus that grows on rye. So if you know how to get that out of rye, hmm. and rye is everywhere, then this guy probably was taking it the majority of his life. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> and he had a good long life. <laughs> Look at that. I mean, he didn't die of any unnatural causes. He... <laughs> Then again, he was also a very smart man. He was able to synthesize a compound that did all of these things right. um, at a very early age in his life. So, no, no dumb person, for <laughs> sure. So maybe that should be the rule. LSD is okay, just for smart people. <laughs> Pass an IQ test here. Have some. Well, let's see. In other countries, LSD is a controlled substance, but in Canada, for example, you can actually seek to obtain authorization to get it. Really? Yes. Uh, obtaining such substances requires 30 days notice. Uh, however, you are by no means excused for having it if you, even though it's a control, legal controlled substance, mm -hmm. uh, you will have an imprisonment term of three years hmm. or less if you are noticed for having it. Right. Without, you know... Uh, just proper and due course taken. So let's see about the United Kingdom. Use and possession of the drug without a license is punishable, but I guess there are licenses in which you can have it. wonder if that's just for, like, huh. studies and things, though. It doesn't seem to say. Yeah. And beyond that, it's just the United States, which we've already sort of been over. Yeah. In the United States, it's just illegal overall. Well, there are some interesting see alsos at the bottom of this one. Mm-hmm. Things like urban legends about LSD, <laughs> uh, LSD art, the effect of LSD on drawing and painting, hmm. the psychedelic experience, <laughs> and also unethical human experimentation in the United States. Hmm. Could be some good scandals there. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't end the episode with too much of a downer. That's true. So, trying to bring up just a little bit. I think urban legends could at least be, be funny. Yeah. Instead of sort of instead tragic of, yeah, right. uses of human life. Mm. Yeah, let's, I agree. I think, let's do that. Okay. Urban uh, okay. legends about LSD. Redirects us to misconceptions about drugs. And then it there's a hashtag urban legends about LSD but there's no section for it so it just doesn't go anywhere but the first subheading at least is LSD so it is decent enough in presenting itself <laughs> to us it's just a matter of finding what oh here we go okay here we are um man permanently thinks he is a glass of orange juice oh I know about or this or thinks one. he becomes an orange yeah yeah this is a myth? I guess. Oh. Or maybe? Um, it was in back in the 60s. Um, it was alleged that a man took LSD, went insane, thought he was permanently a glass, permanently thought he was a glass of orange juice. And he could never bend over, slept upright, did not make any sudden movements. Um, so, and it, it's changed a little bit. Um, sometimes he's a glass of milk and whatever. Uh, sometimes he's just an orange and he was afraid of being peeled by his friends. So it doesn't really say whether this is actually true or not. 
Well, I actually heard of this about uh, former Pink Floyd frontman Sid Barrett. Oh. Allegedly, this was the story that happened to him. He became mm. such an LSD user in the early years of Pink Floyd that he had to retire from the band due to repeated psychotic episodes and retired into a small corner of Britain where nobody would wave a straw at him. <laughs> because as a glass of orange juice, drinking apparatuses mm. and utensils are rather traumatic. Right. Though, apparently that was just, you know, a funny story. <laughs> I or, guess so. I, it, it doesn't make any mention of Sid Barrett specifically here, but mm-hmm. that was exactly who I heard it in reference to. Oh. So these are actual stories. They're not just, like, urban legends about the symptoms of LSD. They're urban legends about what people have been spreading for years, like, saying has happened with LSD. So... People apparently thought that they could fly and jumped out of the window or fell off cliffs. I've heard of that. Yeah, before. yeah. There are rare, rare cases of people falling to their death while tripping on LSD. Literally, uh, <laughs> tripping. Yeah, it. <laughs> uh, okay, poor taste. However, these incidents were likely either suicides or accidents caused by disorientation or misjudgment of distance rather than attempts to fly. The myth may have started from the highly publicized 1969 death of Diane Linkletter, which is now thought to be a suicide entirely unrelated to LSD. So... Well, there is a citation needed on that one, so... There is. There is. So let's... Let's refrain from making any final judgments. Oh, hey. Sun gazing while tripping. Popular legend dating back to the 1960s claimed that uh, after taking LSD, they s- people stared at the sun, and they ended up going blind as a result. <laughs> uh, this I've met- heard that not in connection to LSD. I've just heard that of just staring in at general. The sun. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, if you stare at the sun, it's not going to help your vision. Right. <laughs> it's not going to make you immediately go blind, though, I don't think. Yeah, I, th- I feel like you'd have to stare at it a long time, and many times over. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So the legend is considered to be unfounded, and since in 1968, the source of the hoax, Norman M. Yoder, commissioner of the Office of the Blind in the, oh no, Pennsylvania State <laughs> Welfare Department, of course, admitted that he had completely made up the story because of his own concern over illegal LSD used <laughs> by children. Well, you know, in 1968, as a member of the government, you probably can't say that you're concerned about its prevalence in society. (laughs) If you're a member of any level of government in 1968, you can't say that, you know, this drug that the government introduced into the society, that Mm -hmm. we know the government introduced into American society, (laughs) is now too prevalent. Like, yeah, okay, maybe it is, but guess whose fault that is? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, here's an interesting one. It's called Bananadine LSD. Bananadine. Um, false claim states that it was possible to synthesize LSD out of banana peels or other household foods and chemicals. Ah, cheesing, right. So, that one is a false one, for sure. But, bananas do have potassium and they are radioactive. So, I mean, those are... Uh, that's something. good things to know. Yeah. I mean, that makes them a little bit special. Yeah. Wow. Some of these are pretty interesting. Look at bad LSD. Hmm. A bad trip is easily caused 
when you're on LSD. Uh, you can, it can easily happen whenever you're having any sort of uh, fear or expectation of ill effects of LSD. Basically, <sighs> your attitude going in determines your result with LSD. I have heard of this. Yeah. I yeah. I have heard that whatever some acid your... is bad acid. <laughs> yeah, but like what your what your attitude or what your emotions are mm-hmm. will dictate what happens. Yeah, and uh, a lot of people have that misconception that they can blame the uh, acid itself, but right. that's not the case. The stronger the dose, the stronger the potentially more anxiety-provoking the trip can get. Mm. Now, one thing I've also heard is to not look in the mirror when you take acid. Not look in the mirror? Why not? I... Not entirely sure. I think it has something to do with you see yourself and then you see weird things happening to you. Uh-huh, so then would... you freak out and then you have a bad trip because you're freaking out about stuff. Wow. I, I'm not entirely sure, but I believe that's what it is. Well, I don't see anything about that being an urban myth. So it's uh, probably perhaps, true. <laughs> perhaps look out for that one, folks. That one may not be... <laughs> Such a uh, wrong statement. Oh, here's a good place to kind of bring things down. Bring, bring things to a close. Okay. Babysitter places baby in the oven while high okay. on LSD. There is an unverifiable drug scare story dating to the 1960s of a hippie babysitter girl putting a baby in the oven and a cold turkey in the bassinet. It has been debunked by Snopes.com. This myth is parodied in the Simpsons episode, (laughs) The Secret War of Lisa Simpson, in which the children go on a school field trip to a scared straight wax museum at the local police station. One exhibit contains a wax dummy of a hippie woman eating a sandwich with a baby (laughs) in it. Chief Wiggum says, that's right. She's got the munchies for a California cheeseburger. That is a good one. Yeah. Yes, it is. (laughs) So, on that note, it's time to end. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So, I guess there you have it. Sal Abruscato to Urban Legends about LSD. Not not such a far jump there. When we're talking about bands that had drug issues, and we ended up in drug issues, we didn't really straddle too many through too many things yeah i mean we we went through a kind of a variety of topics but we ended up uh back on the same sort of area yeah interesting Mm. all right so that's that and if you go ahead and visit facebook.com slash twc podcast and also go to iTunes and, you know, like us and follow us and rate, rate us and all that stuff. And you can also find our new episodes on our website, twc.erictoribio.com. Uh, you should also check out the other podcasts on the Eric Toribio Podcast Network, Enter the Critic and Ninjas vs. Podcast. Enter the Critic is movie reviews, Ninjas vs. Podcast. They put things against each other and figure out a winner. And I'd like to thank Louis Armstrong for our theme song and Big Bill Brunzi for our outro song. And lastly, our Totally True Fact 
for this episode is guitar strings were initially made out of pieces of bark from a mimosa tree. So thank you all again for joining us. I was Eric. And I was John. And this was the Wikipedia Chronicles. Now you can put me in the alley. My gal's name is Sally. You wake me up in the morning, Mama. I still got that old habit. Why don't you tell me how you want it? Lord, I'll give you satisfaction now if it's all right. Some of these old morning Lord at noon it won't be Now that some of these old morning mama noon it won't be Lord I know you wanna call me baby Lord and I do